Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, today's episode is a really, really cool one, and I was so excited to be able to connect with this guest. So today, we're going to be having a conversation with Tim Schurer about a new book that is actually coming out today, May 17th. Now, Tim has a really interesting backstory. He was actually the COO of StoryBrand for years, for just about a decade, working with Donald Miller out of Nashville to help grow this company. And he was absolutely integral in their success as a business and all of the different products that they offer. Now, when we sat down to talk, Tim has recently left that company and started his own business as an author and a speaker, and his book, The Secret Society of Success, is one that you need to pay attention to. So in this conversation, we really get into the principles that the book is about, so the idea of what is success. So many people look at success in a way that's not healthy, where they are just after bigger and better and more and their name in the lights, and they're doing anything that it takes to achieve this, you know, Instagram type level of spotlight that is frankly just not healthy and and it's not achievable for many people. And this book dives right into that. Tim coins a term called the spotlight mentality when the focus has to be on us and we only have fulfillment when everybody knows it was us that did the work. And as as we get into the, the conversation together, we really explore this idea of does that actually equate to success? And how is it that we know if our work means anything? Now, Tim, in addition to his book, he actually has a podcast as well that's called the Build a Winning Team Podcast, and he interviews just some heavy hitters on this idea of rallying people together around a common cause, and I would recommend to anybody that you listen to it, we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. So as we talk today, I really want you to think about this idea of the secret society of success. You know, Tim really believes that there are a group of people out there, a secret society that views success differently, they have satisfaction in their work, and they are enjoying their lives more than other people who quote unquote have success, but are on the hamster wheel trying to maintain a facade. So get out a pen and paper. I absolutely have some thoughts on the back end that I want to share with you. But for now, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim Scherer. Joining me from Nashville, Tennessee is an author, speaker, and former COO of StoryBrand. He's written a new book called The Secret Society of Success. I'm here today with Tim Schurer. Tim, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Let's have some fun. Two Tims in a room. This is going to be a good time. I know. I love it, man. I feel like this is a name. You know, it's not an uncommon name, but... uh, I don't know. Whenever I whenever I meet somebody named Tim, I'm always I'm always a little bit pumped up about it. <laughs> I love it. Thanks a ton for being here, Tim. I'm really excited for this conversation, and I, I kind of want to come out of the gates and, and just say I, I just finished up reading your new book, The Secret Society of Success, and honestly, it's incredible. I think you've done a really good job of asking 
just the deep question, you know, what is success and, and why are we so consumed with a definition of it that does not fulfill us and just honestly makes our lives kind of spin out of control when we follow that that rabbit hole to its conclusion. I think you've done a really good job with that, but but maybe just to back up a little bit, can you talk to us just a, about your journey? What, what's your journey been like over the last 10 years to bring you to the spot of writing this book? Yeah, totally. Well, I'll start with a little story and, and get back to how my story connects with this one. But sure, you know, there's a, I'm sure a lot of people here are familiar with Apollo 11. You know, you got Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But what a lot of people don't know, there's actually a third astronaut on that mission. His name was Michael Collins. So here you got Michael Collins, the guy Ubers, Neil and Buzz to the moon, drops them off so they can do these various tasks on the moon surface, while he, back in the command module, orbits them in something like 26 times until these guys are ready to be picked up and brought back to Earth. And what would make this a miserable story is if, you know, he gets back, sits down with the press, and says something like, well, it sure would have been nice to actually walk on the moon, and, you know, acted (laughs) like a victim, tried to take the spotlight away from the mission as a whole, but... What's beautiful is that's not at all what happened. He got back, sat with the press, and talked about how content he was to have had one of those three seats. So why is it that for us to be successful, we feel like we have to step into the spotlight, climb the ladder, be the boss? Because as I, in my own journey, there was a season when I wanted to be the next John Mayer. I, too, wanted to be famous. But what's interesting is I I look back on my life and what I really want is a meaningful and fulfilling life and career where I'm doing things that I'm passionate about, contributing to things greater than myself. So I was just being so influenced by this cultural narrative of what success is. And it's not until I've met the people like Michael Collins and learned their stories that I've actually started to rethink what success actually is. Because I don't, I no longer believe it's fame, money, and power, right? Yeah. I actually feel like success can be defined differently. And so this book, The Secret Society of Success, is really me curating stories of people who have lived and, and operated a little bit differently in their lives and careers, and Michael Collins being one of those people. So. I've been on this journey to actually step into a different role, a different headspace. And the last 15 years, I've really gone from being somebody who wanted to be in the spotlight to actually stepping in behind the scenes roles. For the last almost 10 years, I worked with Donald Miller uh, as his right hand running and operating StoryBrand and you know now also Business Made Simple. And the meaning and fulfillment I was looking for came when I actually stepped a little bit more behind the scenes. And so I'd have to believe that there's a lot of other people out there who also maybe feel that same way. They would maybe feel pressured to have to be the guy, but maybe we can find contentment in our seat in the same way that Michael Collins did. Yeah, that's so good. You know, in the book, you you coin a term that is called the spotlight mindset. And, and that was yeah. awesome. As, as I read that, it makes so much sense. Can you define that real quick and just talk about how that, you know, infiltrates our lives every day? Yeah. So, you know, I define the spotlight mindset as this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. So for so many of us, we want to matter. We want our lives to matter. We want to do something meaningful. We want to make an impact. 
but so often we get a little tripped up trying to get more attention and recognition, right? And so um, there's a few ways that the spotlight mindset can show up in our lives, symptoms, if you will. So, you know, comparison is something that I've dealt with quite a bit in my life, especially when I wanted to be a musician. It's almost as though I was measuring my success against that of others. That was the, I, it was where I was on that scoreboard that would either allow me to be happy or not based on that scoreboard. So comparison is a symptom of the spotlight mindset. Uh, but so is striving, right? Like so many of us, we're just on this endless pursuit for more, yeah, more revenue, more team members, more clients. It's almost like our ability to have those things and to see those numbers grow is how we would measure success. But yeah. I've actually been learning that that striving is just leaving us exhausted. Yeah. So, you know, another one is damaged relationships. That's a spot, that is a symptom of the spotlight mindset. And there's somebody who have actually been really inspired by a guy named Michael Hyatt. He's an author, speaker, and, you know, he has a business. And, you know, in one of his books, he talks about a particular failure of his from, you know, his past. And he was given the opportunity, Michael was, to lead a division at a book publishing company. And at the time, this particular division was ranked 14th out of 14 in all the significant match- metrics, revenue, team morale, all these things. So he tells the then CEO, hey, give me three years, I'm going to turn this thing around. Well, in only 18 months, he turns around the business. This division now is at the top. They're crushing it with revenue, team morale. I mean, things couldn't be going better. Michael gets a bonus check, which he said was greater than his annual salary. He couldn't wait to get home, talk to his wife about it, right? She was his biggest fan. He knew she would be thrilled. So he gets home so excited, sits down with his wife to tell her about this, and she, she responds with, we need to talk. And with tears in her eyes, she says, your five daughters need you now more than ever before. And in fact, I actually feel like a single parent. So here Michael was having all the career success he could imagine, the financial success that he could imagine, and yet the relationships with the people that mattered most to him were suffering from it. So this you know, this spotlight mindset, this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition, you know, us measuring our success in these, you know, through the lens of fame, money, power. If we don't start to identify the symptoms where it's tripping us up, I actually feel like it can lead us on a pretty disruptive path. Yeah, I, I'm so with you. You know, I, I think about this in our industry, you know, we, we have we have smaller businesses and, and larger businesses that listen and and I've talked to people at all levels, whether you're trying to push your business to 5 million, 50 million, or even like a billion dollars with some of the bigger manufacturers in our industry. You know, one of my biggest questions is always why, you know, we very often just consume to consume. It's the way that like, we're just, we're taught to be comfortable and to, and to consume, but those things ultimately don't, don't lead to fulfillment. Like, you know, consumption and, and growth for the sake of of that is just is, is just cancerous, and I think there's there's a quote right here from your book that really hit me because because you talk about that there you know the spotlight mindset is, is pervasive it's everywhere, but there is a secret society of success that that stands really diametrically opposed to it, and and you and you write here in the book you said that 
the secret society has very little to do with position or visibility. It has much more to do with how you hold yourself, how you view your career, how you support others, and whether you're willing to drop what the culture around you screams about success and actually do the work of defining it for yourself. And that blew me away. And I'd love to maybe just have you riff on that idea right there. Yeah. So LeBron James in 2020, he and the Lakers won the NBA Finals. So they give a trophy out to the team that wins the finals, but they also give a trophy at the end of the season to the scoring leader, the person in the NBA who had the highest points per game average. And it's a pretty big deal to be the scoring leader. Michael Jordan won that thing a record setting 10 times. So you've got a guy like LeBron, you'd think he's got all the talent in the world. One of the greatest players of NBA NBA history, you'd think he could win the scoring title if he wanted to. But what's interesting to me is in 2020, LeBron didn't win the scoring title. In fact, he wasn't even in the top five. But LeBron led the league in assists, meaning the way that he chose to play and ultimately how he and his team won was by him setting his teammates up to score. So what if success is in the assist? And so you've got somebody like a LeBron James. He couldn't be more in the spotlight. But what separates people and the secret society is exactly what you just said. They're not actually thinking as though things are all about them. And in fact, if there's a common denominator for people in the secret society, regardless of their position on the org chart, it's this posture of service, of helping others win, being all about the assist. So what if we, as leaders or even just as team members, I'm sure there are both of those listening on this show, and I feel like more of us need to just show up that way. Because if we're trying to make it about us, that's going to lead us down that destructive path. That's the spotlight mindset you know, influencing us. But success is in the assist. And I feel like it's people like LeBron who have shown me a different way to view success than maybe we're hearing right now in the cultural narrative. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I was, uh, you, you launched a new podcast. I was actually listening to it yesterday as I was going to get my hair cut. And in, in your first... Your, look, your hair looks great, by the way. <laughs> hey, thank you. Yeah, I know you guys can't see it, but I can, and it looks fantastic. You know, I get... I, I try to go a long time in, in between haircuts, so I feel like I look great for about two weeks, and then I just look normal after that, you know? But that's my life. <laughs> hey, we're in the golden window right now, that's so right. this is great. That's right. Well, I was listening to your podcast yesterday while I was going to get my haircut, and and in it, you, the conversation was was basically about recognition and how to how to recognize people who are winning. And as I'm thinking about you, you talking about this, like we need to look for the assist and, and find success and helping other people. But so often our teams are not positioned that way. Our teams are positioned around individual performance, win at all costs, the ends justify the means. And and in this conversation that you had. It was so awesome to talk about actually recognition as a mechanism to to make this idea spread among your teams. And, and, and I'd love to maybe hear you talk about like, as a team leader, how does a culture of recognition help grow this idea that assisting others to actually help them win is the best way to move this thing forward and, and you will actually be recognized for that? Yeah, when I was working at StoryBrand, I hired every single person on the team Um, because when I started, it was just myself and Donald Miller, the CEO, and we grew the business uh, to like 16.5 million um, in revenue over those years. 
And some at one point there was somebody who applied, and I, I was looking at their resume, and I got really excited because one of my favorite companies was actually listed on their resume. And so in the very first interview, I'm like, okay, tell me everything. So excited. I couldn't wait to hear what it was like to work at this company. And if I told you the name of the company, everyone here would know it, likely owns products from this brand. Um, so, you know, I asked them, what was it like? And they said, you know, it's a really competitive environment, but here's the deal. Nobody there has your back. And I'm like, what do you mean nobody there has your back? And they went on to describe that everyone was setting themselves up to look good. They would never give recognition or credit to anybody else because they viewed that through the lens of, wait, if somebody else wins, I can't win. Yeah. So it almost was this very me-focused environment, and that's just not what I see in healthy teams. So you, you had just mentioned that podcast. It's called Build a Winning Team, and my very first guest was David Novak. So David is the co-founder and former chairman and CEO of Yum Brands, who's it's the parent corporation for KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, right? So when David was running Yum, he had a million and a half employees, which is just wild. Wow. But David really was famous for creating this culture of recognition. So when he was starting Yum, they went and looked at all the top companies in the world, the Walmarts, the Targets, and what are some of these key characteristics? What are the things that these people do and have done to be really successful. And you know, he said the number one thing is they created a culture where every person counts, every role matters. And so what they would do is recognize people for doing great work, for driving results, and for you know, showing up with the kind of you know, effort that they were looking for all across their business. And you know, I think for so many of us, we're just, we're just so busy. We're not thinking of the people on our teams, and it's not because we're bad people. We just got a lot going on. Yeah. And you know, on StoryBrand's podcast several years ago, we interviewed Dan Heath, and he talks about this study where you know they asked managers, "Do you frequently recognize your people for the work that they do?" And they said, you know, eighty percent of these people said yes. But then when they asked employees, "Do your managers frequently recognize you for the work that you do?" Only twenty percent of them said yes. So you know, they, they call that the recognition gap. Yeah. Right. And so that is just the reality of so many of our businesses. But here's something that I think is really important. It's not just, you know, a top down thing where recognition really can, you know, influence a culture. Everyone needs a little bit of recognition because if there's somebody on this podcast listening that is uh, a leader, they probably have felt a little invisible too. The work that they are doing is not being recognized either. So it's really important for us as leaders to call out people on our teams. But the reality is leaders cast a shadow. People do what we do, whether we like it or not. And so if we create a culture where people are being recognized for doing great work, playing their part, you know, that whatever role they find themselves in, if they are being recognized for that and they feel valued, then I feel like it's going to come in the opposite direction as well, where people are going to be, you know, imagine sitting down with uh, one of your team members and they say, hey, I know we've had a uh, pretty rough quarter and revenue is not what we need it to be. You know, we're not getting enough leads. Uh, I just want you to know, you know, them saying this to the CEO, like, hey, I I just want you to know every two weeks I get my paycheck, regardless of what the revenue is. And I just want you to know, I, I see the stress and I can only imagine, you know, those late nights that you're having, wor- worrying about and thinking about where the revenue is going to come from. But 
I just want you to know I see you and I appreciate you and I'm going to do whatever I can to get us back on track. Like imagine how a leader would feel if they were even just being recognized. It's we just want to be seen no matter where we are, you know, whether we're leader or in a supporting role, we just want to be seen and and building and creating that culture of recognition is a, a way to do that. Yeah, it, it so is. I mean, I just think about times in my life, you know, like when you, when you wrote in the book about your journey through music and stuff, my life was really, really similar in like playing in a, in a failing punk band and, and thinking that, you know, I was the best thing that had ever happened to music and I was just waiting for somebody to, to pick me before realizing that like life doesn't actually work that way, you know? <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think about like where the, the things on my way that have kind of gotten me to where I am, a lot of it has, has really had to do with recognition because like we don't realize if you're an any type of a leadership role and and by that it just means that other people are counting on you for something like your words of affirmation really matter and it might just be a passing comment that you make but like to someone that that looks at you as a leader like that is like water in the desert you know and i and i think that for so many people in in business leadership positions they feel like to affirm somebody or to recognize somebody shows weakness or it means, you know, well, does this mean that I have to do it for everybody? And it's like, well, yeah, if they're doing the behavior that you want to see, because like we people do the behavior we incentivize, whether that's through money or recognition or whatever else. So you may as well get in front of it and try to incentivize the behaviors that you want to see. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just what I love about somebody like David Novak is he created this entire culture where people really did feel valued. And that starts at the top. And now the organization really is just operating from the shadow that he is casting in the organization. So what I love too about that story is some some leaders would see that as kind of fluffy stuff and you know a, a waste of time. But you know David talks about how it's the soft skills that drive the hard results. And you know in his tenure as CEO of Yum, he grew the business from four billion to thirty-two billion dollars. Gosh! By creating a culture of recognition, like this stuff works to, to yeah. drive results. It's not, and and it, and it does feel good too, right? It it almost is the right thing to do, and it's driving the kind of results that is needed to sustain a business. We'll get back to our conversation with Tim Schur in just one second. Hey, if you're listening to this conversation about success and thinking man, how do I know in my business if I'm actually succeeding? I feel like everything is just bursting at the seams and breaking apart. Well, then you have to take advantage of the online fire time workshop. Now, we just finished up our first ever in-person workshop in Seattle, Washington, where business leaders from all over the country flew in. And for three days, we hit a 10-step execution process to master jobs from the time a customer walks into the showroom to the final installation and thank you at the end. And it was amazing. But the best part is that we documented the entire thing and it's now available online. If your business has struggled with running a job from start to finish and keeping your team aligned around the central vision of what needs to happen, you have to master this 10-step execution process. Now, it's not just me that's saying this. I want to share a comment from Matt Reed at Barnhill Chimney Company in Kentucky because this really summarizes it. Matt says, my three biggest pain points are communication, accountability, 
And with all the fires that we face every day, knowing the order of operations, I now know how not to be overwhelmed, how to rank the problems I have and figure out which fires to let burn and how to communicate effectively with my team. The workshop addresses all of these things and gives us as leaders confidence that we're doing the right things for the right reasons to achieve the right outcomes. And and that's the hope of the workshop, that you have a blueprint and an execution plan to run your business better. So to take advantage of the Firetime workshop online, you can go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop. That's itsfiretime.com slash workshop. I forget which chapter it was in. Maybe it was chapter four or chapter five in the book. But you talked about the idea that like maybe you've been doing this for a long time. Maybe you're not seeing the impact that you hope for, you know, yeah, yeah. what would happen if you shifted the focus to one life, you know, like making an impact with, 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 with the, with the few and, and, and the small, would that be enough for you? And I thought that idea was really, really profound because it, it instantly exposes our selfish motives, right? Because so many of us say like, even if it's like, oh, I'm going I'm to start a charity or I'm going to you know, I want to build my business to be this big, you know, so often it's, it's the spotlight mindset where it's like, well, we want to be the hero. We want to look like we have it figured out. We want to make up for whatever insecurities we felt through, through growing up or through our, our adulthood. And if we were forced with the decision of would I do this, if I knew it would only impact a very small amount of people that I feel like right there just cuts right through it to, are we in it for the work and for the service? Or are we in it for ourselves? And I don't know, man, I was, I was really blown away by that. I thought that was, that was an amazing way to kind of, to kind of turn the focus to what am I really in this for? Yeah. And so many of the people that, uh, I've been inspired by have grown really successful businesses, but they didn't get there by trying to get there. They actually got there by focusing on one life at a time. And yeah. uh, one of those people is Blake Mykoski, who started Tom's. So at you know, today, Tom's has given away more than 95 million pairs of shoes, and they created this business model one for one, right? For every pair of shoes they sold, they gave a pair to a child in need. And Orby Parker has latched onto that one for one model and so many others. But what's pretty cool about Blake's story is he was in Argentina and really was just kind of taking a break from uh, a few different businesses that he had started and run. And uh, he met some women who were over there giving away shoes, doing what you know now they call a shoe drop. But they were uh, in this village and noticed that a lot of these kids didn't have shoes. And because they didn't have shoes, that didn't you know re- uh, fulfill the requirement to go to school. So therefore, not every child in a family would be able to go to school, which for something as simple as a pair of shoes, I mean, he just kind of saw that as crazy. And so he had a goal of coming back that following Christmas with 250 pairs of shoes, one for every child in this little village. So he gets back to the States and not only sells those 250 pair, but uh, just sold a crazy amount because people were latching onto the story and this idea. And fast forward, I mean, they became the fastest growing shoe company in the world and really did impact now millions and millions of lives. But it just happened by focusing on that one life at a time, right? Because 250 pair probably felt like a pretty audacious goal. Um, But I actually heard this guy, Andy Stanley, say once, what if the greatest contribution you make in this world is not something that you do, but someone you raise? So even for parents, 
right? Like we want to make an impact in our lives and careers, but what if we actually just looked at our lives? Would it be meaningful? The greatest contribution we make may not be something we do, but someone we raise. What if our focus on even just raising really great kids was a goal? Would that be enough? Or do we need more for our lives to feel meaningful and impactful? So I, I feel like so much of what culture screams of, about success is, hey, to be successful, you need to have a multi-million dollar business. You need to have hundreds of employees. And if you're not there, then you have not arrived. You have not made it. You therefore are not successful. And I just think a lot of that thinking and you know um, that mindset is garbage. I, I feel like for us, Success actually can look a little bit different than that. And I think that there's a lot of us who have likely impacted individual lives. And what if actually we are more successful than we even realize? So you don't need a stage to make an impact. And um, you don't need to have thousands of customers to have a really great business that you can feel really proud about. Yeah, I, I so agree with that. You know, I was on the East Coast about a year ago working with a company. And as, as we were kind of going through their business, there was a lot of things they were doing well, and there's some things that we were working on. And and one of the things that that I got the impression of is that is that the the business owner did not feel like a success. And I was telling them, I was like, you know, obviously there's things to work on in a business. We can jump into that, but but look at look at what you've built. Like this is a business that has sustained team members for years and years and years for decades and you've been helping customers in this in this rural part of the of the country where you are like this is this is a big deal and you should know that that you are winning doing this and and I think it goes back to the idea of recognition too it's really clear that that just because of of this business owner you know nose to the grindstone every day they're staying late no one sees it they they just felt like a failure they felt like no like this this thing's not successful but I think it just goes back to like the impact on the one makes it a success. And I mean, you got to decide long term, maybe a business can't survive going after the one. But I think that we should reframe our lives that way. Because, you know, if for most people that are listening to this, like your business is successful, and that it, it, it runs itself, you've got you've got team members that are helping customers. But but your impact should really shift to like, am I making a difference with what's been given to me? Versus am I chasing some idea of success? that's just not attainable, you know? And, and even if I were to get it, it's not gonna be anything that sustains me. Yeah, and, and here's something I think everybody listening can do today to take steps in this direction. And, you know, I just told you that quote from Andy Stanley. In that same talk that I heard him give at an event in Atlanta, he was talking about, you know, finding our purpose, which I think so many of us, we're mindful of that. We wanna make an impact. We, we wanna matter. We want our lives to matter. And so we're in this culture where we're just so often tempted to kind of filter everything through the what's in it for me type thinking. That's how we approach a lot of things. And Andy said, that's actually the wrong question to ask. That's not at all what we should do. We should ask this question instead, who am I here for? And what I love about that question is it requires us to show up and bring our best to operate out of our skills and our passions, but it puts us into a different headspace. It's not a what's in it for me. It actually has us doing all of this in service of others. And so I love this so much that I got back to the office 
And in Nashville, I had an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper up on the wall in my office. And, you know, up at the top, I wrote, who am I here for? And below it, I put the pictures and the names of the people on my team and their families. Because I'm sure you felt this way. There are days when you've got an, an, an ever a never-ending task list. You've got a full day of meetings. You've got so much you need to get done. It was on those days I needed that visual, that, that little reminder to actually show up and ask myself, Tim, who are we here for today? Right? Like, How can I have my antenna up to perhaps support somebody else on my team, to set them up with an assist, right? Maybe they need a little encouragement or just somebody to talk to. And so, so many of us, I think the, the impact that we can make may even be our team members, helping them develop and learn. I know your journey has gone from doing installations to now running a business. So many of the people on our teams, what if we could help them on that same journey, right? So, you know, even Dave Ramsey, he has a pretty large organization and one of the divisions is Entree Leadership. And how Entree Leadership came to be was he just started coaching his teammate, team members through how he had grown the business. And they were just talking about those lessons. And I love that idea of just investing into our people and helping them be at their best. How is that going to impact your revenue? I don't know. But what I do believe is those people are going to be engaged and committed and likely bring their best if they see that you're really interested in them and and their growth and development. So especially right now in this age of the great resignation, you know, it's a, it's a buyer's market, right? Oh yeah. And so one way that we can keep our great best people is develop them, help in whatever way that you possibly can them achieve all that they want to achieve. And maybe that looks like you just helping them start and launch their own business at some point. And if so, fantastic. But I just love that idea the who am I here for? I think it puts us in a really healthy headspace. Tim, that's so good. You know, as I feel like that, that takes us right into where I wanted to go next. You have, you have a whole section of the book where you talk about who gets the credit and, and, and basically the idea that like, you know, is that, I guess that Reagan quote that when we, when we forget about who gets the credit, it's amazing what we can get done. It's something along those lines. And I, I kind of want to ask you just, just to, on a personal level. So, you know, you worked with Donald Miller for the last decade and, and, and I'm sure for you, you've seen this business grow from, from nothing, the two of you guys to this, this large organization that, that is doing stuff on a really big scale. You've seen, you know, more team members come in. You've seen Don grow in the spotlight and even like JJ and other team members like that, that are, that are, you know, these prominent spotlight figures. What was it like for you to be such an anchor of, of, of this company holding it together, but yet, I mean, no one knows who Tim Schur is. Like, you don't, you don't have the podcast. You're not, you're not the one that's like leading the keynote speech. What was that like for you to kind of, to kind of, to kind of be in in the background, but still be such a part of the team? How did you, how did you, uh, just, just deal with that human desire to want to own the credit? Yeah. So the reality is, we all live in this tension between two things. So it's a tension between the spotlight mindset, that unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. That's the headspace where you're like, I want the credit and I'm going to demand it if I'm not given it, right? But we live in the tension between that and what I call the way of the secret society, which is 
doing the work for the love of the work itself, whether or not we ever get patted on the back or recognized. And so every day we're up against decisions where we get to choose how we're going to live and how we're going to respond, right? I would be lying if I tell you that some days I wasn't bothered by the idea that no one had any idea who I was and the impact that I had made in growing that business. That's just true, right? But it's on those days when I feel like I just got the smelling salts from you know, people in the secret society that just continue to remind me that success actually looks a little bit differently. Whether or not people know my name, how can I show up and take steps in the, the secret society direction, right? So one of my favorite leaders is Tim Cook. And, you know, Tim's the CEO of Apple. But before that, he was COO under Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs passes away. The person who had been groomed to take over is Tim Cook. So we're at the release of the Apple Watch, which was a huge moment because here was the first new product that they had released since Steve Jobs had passed. And on national television, after this announcement, David Muir asked, you know, to, he asked Tim Cook, is this the moment for you? Is this the moment of your career at Apple? And just think about how you would respond if you're Tim in that moment. Acknowledging the fact that for decades you had been under the radar. In the shadow of Steve Jobs, you'd made massive contributions to the company and its success. So you'd probably be tempted to take the bait and make that moment about you. Remind people all the work that you had done to be in this seat now as the CEO. You have what it takes to take the company into the next era. That's probably how you, how you, well, at least I feel like that's how I would be tempted to respond, right? But that's the spotlight mindset in action. That's what it wants us to respond with. But Tim Cook responds very differently. Is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? He says, well, it's a moment for Apple. I don't really think about myself that much. And those two sentences tell me everything I need to know about how he shows up. It's humble confidence. He's confident in the value he brought, what he has contributed to, his part of the team. He's confident in that. But he's also humble enough to know that he didn't get here by himself. And in fact, to launch an Apple Watch, it's taken hundreds, if not thousands of employees to make that happen, to pull that off. So the humility in that moment to just say something like that, I think, is what I hope more of us can respond with when we're up against those moments, because you had mentioned it, but there's that plaque that sat on Ronald Reagan's desk when he was president, and it said, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and it, I mean, it makes me think, honestly, as, as I, I read your book, I had a pretty heavy travel schedule over the last couple of weeks, and I was finishing up your book when I was in Milwaukee. And I'm I'm out for a run, and I'm just kind of thinking about it as I'm as I'm running, and and I started to actually think about even interactions that I had had in the couple of weeks prior, where I'm like, no, like that was actually the spotlight mindset, you know, leaking into like this comment that I made or this thing that I said, and and so I want to ask you, you know, do you ever conquer the spotlight mindset? No, you don't, because we're humans, right? It's like 
um, if if it's kind of like exercising, you don't wake up one day and you're like, I did it, I'm fit. It's like, no, no, every decision that we make either leads us towards health or away from health, right? And this is exactly how the spotlight mindset works. We are constantly up against this selfish desire for making it all about us and all of those things, demanding attention and recognition. That, that is a constant thing. So I think what's important for us is to realize and have self-awareness around when that is actually happening so that we can choose to respond differently. So no, you, you don't actually ever get over it. And I wish so badly that I could tell you that you can overcome it, but that's just, and even I felt pressured in writing the book that, you know, people want a step one, step two, step three. And, you know, I, I just, I couldn't do it because it's just, it wouldn't have been true. Yeah. So, so sorry, everyone. (laughs) It's not going to happen, but at least, you know, I I heard someone say um, that, that self-awareness, that problem identification yeah. is half the solution. So for so much of us, just even knowing that that exists is the pathway to us responding in a more healthy way. Uh, yeah. Gosh, I, I so agree. I mean, I think, you know, I think one of the advantages of, uh, you know, being a failed musician is that there's a lot of time spent kind of self-reflecting as you try to write lyrics and, um, thinking about it, like it, it, for me, I, it has kind of made me, made me think about like, am I doing this because I think it's going to make me look good or am I doing this to serve the people that, that I, I have the opportunity to serve. And, and I think that just like you said, the awareness of, of, of man realizing when I'm stepping into that spotlight mindset, even though I, I, I will probably never conquer it, the awareness of realizing, oh, this is where I'm heading now, or oh man, a couple of weeks ago when I said this, it allows you to get back on track so much faster than not having awareness or vocabulary for that language and just going through this spiral of of you being the the hero of everything. Yeah, and my hope is that this book is something that really will allow people to start to put language to some of these things. Um, and you know, actually we set up uh, secretsocietyfree.com and that's where if you go to secretsocietyfree.com, you can get a free download of the first two chapters in the book. And I hope that people reading even just those first couple of chapters will start to identify some of this in their life so that we can actually head down another path. We can start to live in the way of the secret society, which is like swimming upstream a lot yeah. of times because everything in us wants to make it about us. But I don't think that's the healthy parts of us. I think the healthy parts of us are, um, you know, fine being all about the assist. Yeah. We actually are excited about, you know, operating through that who am I here for headspace. And, and I think that's, to me, how success is starting to be redefined. Yeah. It's showing me a new way to live that's not the fame, money, power. That's not it. But learning to live in the way the secret society is now, if you ask me, Tim, what is success? I'd say it's, it's learning to live in the way the secret society. And if there's a common denominator for those in the secret society, it's exactly that. It's serving others, helping other people win. And that's how I want to show up more often than I, than I do today. Well, I love the familiar language of society. It's at the very, very end of the book. You, you have the quote that says, when I'm at my best, 
I refuse to fly solo. At my worst, I isolate and muscle through life on my own. And I think that you actually might have been quoting one of your one of your friends who said that. But yeah. but the but the idea is so true. I mean, I've just found that for me that that the the way that I've found to win is by having people around me that support me or there for me, but are very aware of my weaknesses and are very aware aware of my propensity sometimes to crave the spotlight. And I think that 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 it's like that I guess the proverb that says like wounds from friends are better than kisses from enemies that like having those people to help you calibrate versus saying I can do it myself I'm just going to push through this I, I think that that's that's the way to have true success and win yeah and I, I often find myself in these mental spirals you know I, I had said I have not overcome the spotlight mindset there are moments when I feel like I'm in those spirals I'm just thinking in an unhealthy way. And, you know, those, just to give a visual there, I just feel like I'm in a hole, right? And often the way that I get out of those holes back into a healthy headspace is when someone in the secret society hands me a ladder yeah, and is encouraging me as I climb out into a healthier headspace. And I think that's what I hope more of us can do for one another. It's when we find one another in these headspaces, we can just be the ones to remind each other of what success actually looks like and to use even the tools and the stories in this book as me handing you ladders to help you you know, get back into a healthy headspace no matter where you may find yourself today. Tim, this is amazing. You know, for anybody listening, I'm just telling you, you got to check out this book, The Secret Society of Success, Stop Chasing the Spotlight and Learn to Enjoy Your Work and Life Again. Man, this has been so awesome. Where can people find you to just get more content and to learn more about The Secret Society? Yeah, um, what I do is all around just building winning teams. That's I love that part of what I get to do each and every day through books, through my podcast. So you can find me at buildawinningteam.com. And, you know, I'll leave you with this because this to me has been a, a North Star as I was writing this book. And it's a North Star and how I want to show up and live. And it's this quote from Albert Schweitzer. He says, I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Wow. Such good words, man. Well, thanks for serving us. This gave so much value and we're better for it. Thanks for having me, man. It's so fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tim Schur. I got a ton of value out of it. And it was a really, really fun interview. Now, a few things that I want to hit on our way out that I think are really important. First off, if by now you've not gone online and bought his book, you absolutely have to. Again, it's called The Secret Society of Success. Stop chasing the spotlight and learn to enjoy your work and life again. You can go to secretsocietybook.com and pick that up or just go into Amazon and punch in the title. Now, as we round out just a few things, first off is just thinking about what does success mean to you? That conversation really brings that to the surface. What does it mean to you? For many people, it's a bigger house or it's that whatever third car, that luxury vehicle, that vacation. And 
there's nothing wrong in and of itself with any of those things. But truly, if if your view of success is bigger and more, that's a hollow pit. That's a cistern that will just leak and leak and leak, and you'll never be satisfied in fulfilling it. Instead, I, I think Tim's idea of success being viewed as helping people and being satisfied and fulfilled with your role in the process of bringing an idea or a project forward is really where fulfillment comes in. And, and again, this goes back to Viktor Frankl. Many people would say that, that people find satisfaction in pleasure or in power. And, and Frankl says that it's actually in meaning and that we pursue power and pleasure when we don't have meaning. But as we start giving away what has been given to us to help other people, there is unbelievable meaning and fulfillment that comes with that. And that's really what success is. When we take the focus off of ourselves and put the focus on other people and look at how can we serve them, how can we help them get to where they're going, overcome their problem or objective, something changes and our work becomes wildly fulfilling and wildly successful. Seth Godin talks a lot about the idea of putting yourself on the hook and the idea of continuing to show up for a tribe again and again and again to serve. And honestly, I think that that is the quickest and most guaranteed way to succeed. Now, success may not mean monetary success. It may not mean that your name is in the lights. But if you find a small group of people that has a problem and you show up again and again and again and again to solve it, you put yourself on the hook, holding yourself accountable to help them, I'm telling you that you will succeed and people will start to notice and they will trust you as an authority to help solve their problem. I I, I really think it's a one-to-one ratio that so often we say, how can I get people to look at me? How can I increase my reach or get in front of the masses? And I, I think that's just the wrong way to look at it, that we need to think small and think about how can I continue to show up again and again to serve this audience that I care about and trust the results of whatever happens there. Tim's old company, StoryBrand, always says, be the guide, not the hero. And I think that that is the most guaranteed way to win. As we talked about it, Tim mentioned these folks like LeBron James, Michael Collins, and, and Tim Cook that really played a peripheral role in, in, in different ways. Now, LeBron, you know, is an incredible basketball player, but like Tim said, you know, he, he led the league in assists that year, not scoring. There were other more prolific scorers than LeBron. But in the case of Tim Cook and Michael Collins, they were in the shadows for a long time. And, and I think that when Tim was, was put on the spot with the release of that product and he said, I think this is a big day for Apple. And I don't think of myself that often. I really believe that just like Tim said in our conversation, that confident humility is so important. And, and the older that I get and the more that I interact with folks, whenever I come into contact with people that are, are real flashy and, and love to make it known how successful they are, I always think to myself like, man, like there's a, there's a wound or there's an insecurity that they're not aware of, but like, it's just seeping out and, and they just can't, can't help it. And even for myself, when, when I find myself in the spotlight mindset, so often I come back and think, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? 
And it comes down to this fear or this hurt or this insecurity. And I think that having the language of the spotlight mindset, having people around you that know you and care about you, I don't think you'll ever be able to fully overcome the spotlight mindset, but it will get you out of the pit a heck of a lot quicker. So I I really value this conversation and hope that you got a lot out of it. And I think it's just going to be really cool to see what Tim does in the future. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash it's fire time. And seriously, I know we say this a lot, but it means so much to those of you that are contributing every month to keep this podcast around. We operate on a shoestring budget and it means the world. We have put ourselves on the hook for you and want to live up to it. So know that it means a lot and that your contributions literally create this podcast. Now, as you go out this week, what I want you to think about is this idea of success. I want you to write down in a piece of paper some thoughts that answer this question. Do I view success as more spotlight for me or do I view success as helping other people win? I want you to write down the answer to that question and why and think about it this week because as you align yourself to serve others, that's where meaning is. And if you've cultivated that meaning for yourself, it will catch fire and others will follow. Hope you guys have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to the Fire Time Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Fire Time Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into burning.